Amen. You know, let's just take a minute before you sit down. Oh, you're too late. Never mind. Why don't you uh, go and say happy Thanksgiving to somebody and uh, give them a handshake. Praise the Lord. Well, happy Thanksgiving once again. I hope that uh, you eat excessively and have a wonderful time with your family. And as I say, we're very grateful that you, uh, you came and joined with us to worship the Lord this morning. Yesterday, it was my honor to lead a, uh, a lovely service for Tim Wetherill, who uh, passed away a couple of weeks ago. Tim and Corey are part of our church family and... Um, and it was so good to hear the stories. There was a, an open mic uh, for people to come and just share experiences and memories that they'd had with Tim. And uh, Tim was uh, just 60 years old and had been, fought cancer twice and, um, and has now gone home to be with Jesus. And I, I tell you, I was, I was with Tim several times in the last few weeks, but in those few moments before Tim went home, you know, there's those, they're very precious, they're, they're incredible, it's suddenly there's like a clarity. For those of you who have had that experience, things become very crystal clear. The things that matter most are what's spoken about. And the things that we spend so often chasing after in life as humans become secondary. Um, and yesterday we, we spent some time reflecting and, and, and kind of gazing into eternity, if you will, thinking about eternity because that was such a large part of Tim's life was following Jesus and uh, a strong, courageous, determined, unapologetic uh, man who I admired very much. And, um, and he, he, really, he really had this sense of boldness and adventure in his life. But life is short. It is a vapor. The Bible says it's like a vapor in comparison to eternity. And, and that's, that's very true. And, it, and it's always a reminder that you know, life needs to be lived and that we don't have an awful lot of time. And we need to make the most of it. But we have a problem. And it's a problem we all we have all in common. And it's a problem that stops us from starting. It's a problem that stops us from, from taking hold of life. It might, be, it might be a problem that stops us from starting that business or starting that conversation. It's a problem that stops us picking up the phone and following through with something that we know would make a difference. It's, a, it's the problem that we have that, that kind of pulls us back from taking that next step that we know will have an impact in our life. It's a problem that will stop us from really exploring faith in Jesus Christ. And then once you become a Christian, it's a problem that stops us from really living life and life to the full as, as he promises is our, uh, is our calling and our mark on our lives. And that problem is what I'm going to talk about today. 
A few weeks ago, we looked at Luke chapter 10, and, and we looked at the story which Jesus was being questioned by a lawyer, and, and uh, the lawyer asked him a series of questions, and, and Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure many of you have heard it, and the, the overriding question the lawyer asked was, well, who is my neighbor? And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how as a church, we want to be for the mission. We want to be for people. We want to be good neighbors. We want to be people who make an impact and do something incredible in our time and in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our family. And it's something we should take really seriously. And over the last few weeks, that's what we've been jumping into is we're thinking about Big Sunday next week. That is designed for us to invite our friends and family to a service that is geared specifically to them. And, and, and that is being a good neighbor when it becomes, when we talk about being a Christian. And uh, we, we said, we looked at last week at the urgency and why we need to do it, that, that, that we have the answer as Jesus follows. We believe in an event and we believe in a man and his name was Jesus and it's still life transforming. It still changes lives. There's an urgency, that which people are looking for. We believe we have the answer, so we need to go tell people. So at the end of this story in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says something very clever, very clearly to this lawyer and somewhat cleverly because this lawyer answered his own question as to who the neighbor was, the man who helped the half dead um, person on the side of the road. He was the good neighbor. And then Jesus says this. He says, now you go and do likewise. Now go and do. Go and do. Those three words are so simple. Brilliantly simple. Jesus is like, you've answered your own question. This is how you be a good neighbor. You're willing to cross the road and go and serve and be for someone to put their needs before yours. That's being a good neighbor. Now, he said, now, here's what you need to do. You need to go and do the same. Beautifully simple. And with all sincerity, I can say this. That if we proclaim to be a Jesus follower, that is our call, to go and do, to cross the road. It is so simple. But we have a problem. It's not a how-to problem. It's not a problem that, well, because we have all the information, we have the tools, we, we even have little things that we've printed off to give to people. We, we have everything we need. We have a building. We have so much more than so many of people in the world who are under persecution if they gather and mindful of China right now. We have so much more. We have everything at our disposal. Our problem is not a how-to problem. Our problem is that we're afraid we're afraid. Now, we, we, we can make it other things, but ultimately, if I'm really honest, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what it might mean if I cross the road. I'm afraid what it might mean if I make that decision and take my family in a different direction. I'm afraid about what it might mean if I take that step and take my business in a different direction or if I have that conversation or if I actually parent my kids in this way. I'm afraid about what the fallout might be, what they might say, what they might do, how I might feel. And friends, we're afraid of what people might say if we share the answer that we truly believe we have, the urgency that we proclaim claim. We're, we're afraid. We shrink back. And we give all sorts of different excuses. And, and listen, this is, not, this is not a drive-by guilting this morning. I'm not going to do that. I, I stand very much convicted and, and encouraged. You're going to be encouraged, I promise you. Hold on. 
But there's sometimes we do need to just reflect and go, why am I not making that step? Why aren't I making that decision? Why aren't I doing that? And it's not just even a spiritual thing, but why am I not chasing after that, which I know I actually have a feeling is the right thing to do. Why am I not doing it? And if we're really honest with ourselves, it's because we're afraid. We're afraid of what might happen. We admire people who are willing to walk across the room and have those difficult conversations, those conversations. I, I, I'm, I admire them. I'm very thankful today and many days, and I'm not being cheesy, I'm being genuine and honest in this. I'm extremely thankful that I have my wife, Sarah. I, I really am. And I know, <laughs> I know as soon as we start talking, and I, I have a little reputation, when I start talking about our marriage, often there's a bit of a punchline at the end and it's funny. But so I can already feel you going, yeah, where's he going with this? Genuinely, We've been married for 25 years, and I've known her now for 28 years, maybe longer. She's amazing. I'm very thankful for her. I can't imagine. I've told her if she's leaving, I'm going with her. Um, the thing is, though, if she ever leaves me. Never mind. Bad joke. The thing is, though, one thing I really admire about Sarah is she's unafraid to walk across the room when it comes to a bargain. She's also really unafraid when it comes to getting justice, when it comes to things that she feels like that she should be getting more of, especially when it comes to some sort of financial interaction. She is amazing at bartering. She's amazing at getting this bargain, and I admire, and I just shrink away. I, 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 th- I remember one particular, because the thing is, is that Sarah was, bo- was, was brought up in Scotland, and for those of you who, who understand, the, there's only one reason why Scottish people have double glazed windows, it's so that the kids can't hear the ice cream van, because they're very thrifty. So Sarah loves to get a bargain. I remember very early on in our marriage, we were going around a car boot sale, which is like a, a, a um, what do you call them here, a trunk sale. Yeah. That would make sense. Uh, a car boot sale. And, and I've been looking for a long time. This is way before digital cameras. I've been looking for a flash for my camera. And I found one at Argos. Those of you who know who Argos is, is this shop. And I found one. And I remember it was like £25, which is a lot of money. Our rent was £50 a week. Okay, at that time. £25 for this flash. There's like half my rent. There's no, that's ridiculous. I'm not paying that much. And I saw one at a car boot sale in a box. And I remember pulling Sarah and going, Sarah's my the flash. And Sarah picks it up. And she says, how much is this? And I remember the man saying, three pound. I'm freaking out. That's amazing. It's like, yes. And Sarah went, will you take 50 pence? I'm like, it's three pound. It's meant to be 25. And you're still bartering him down. And she ended up getting it for a pound. Because there's a principle to it. She's not afraid. I am. I'm like on the other side of the car boot sale, hiding behind, you know, stuff because I just like, I admire it. I'm grateful for it, but that's not who I am. She is not afraid. She's not afraid. We admire people who are unafraid of having those conversations, but we're afraid. We're afraid. So how do we overcome this fear? We read last week about 
Peter and John had been released after having been this interaction with the leaders of the church at that time. They'd just been thrown into prison and warned they must not talk about Jesus anymore. And so they leave and then they go back to where they were staying, where their friends were waiting. And the scripture in Acts chapter 4, this is just following on from the scripture we looked at last week. This says this, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. I find it very interesting that when things get very difficult, when they're in a situation that needs uh, them to not shrink back, they start praying to God. Now, we need to understand something that we find very hard to relate to. These men and women and children literally had their lives being threatened. Not just that, but their livelihoods. They could have everything stripped away from them. Their circumstances were dire, and they'd been warned, do not talk about Jesus. And if you remember from last week, we said, how can we not talk about Jesus because of what we have seen and heard? It wasn't a belief thing or a theology thing. We've seen something. We've heard something. We've experienced something. We're going to keep talking. They would not shrink back. And so they come back to their friends and their family. They tell them the story and they start to pray together to God. So the first question I think is, well, I wonder what we would pray. What would we pray? What did they pray and what did we pray? They say this, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You see, now they're recognizing they can have everything taken away from them. They had every reason to be afraid. They had every reason to shrink back from crossing the road and being for Jesus in their culture. Far more reason than we do. Their lives literally being threatened and they start their prayer by saying, Sovereign Lord. He's saying this, God, you are in control. You are the beginning and the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You knew that this was going to happen. You are in control. They recognize that God is in control and they carry on. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? So they're quoting now what David said. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one who is Jesus. Verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. So this is what they're doing. They're praying and they're saying, you are sovereign God. And here's why we know that to be the case. Because they're able to look back at the Old Testament and see that the things that they read about, the things that they learned, the things that they dreamed about have actually come about in their presence. That they're able to point at circumstances and say, God is at work. We weren't aware of it when we were in the middle, but now we can reflect and we can see that God is in control. That people are part of God's plan. That they would listen to this, they were part of a bigger story. That their story was not just their story. And we've been talking a lot about stories in the last few weeks. That you have been purposely placed to share your story. And we mustn't shrink back from it, that we take a step into it. And what encourages to do that? As they're praying, this wonderful young group of Christians who had nothing really other than uh, um, suffering to look forward to, that's all that they were seeing in the physical. They were actually able to go, hang on a second, God's in control. We, we read about this. We're in this story. We're in the story that we read about 
from David's time. That's us. Can you imagine the aha moment? That's me. I'm in the middle of God's plan. I'm in the middle of his story. And I know that God's plan is perfect. A little bit later on in Acts, and Acts, the book of Acts, is all about the things that were happening in the early church, and they were pretty amazing. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is saying this. He says this, that God determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. See, he's talking about Christians. He's talking about you and me. And he's saying this, look, you've been given a period of time, and you've been given a place to live. You've been placed on purpose. That's what he's saying, that you're part of a plan. So they start their prayer, having been afraid, they are afraid, we know that, because you'll see that in a second, they are afraid of what might be. They are afraid of crossing the road. They are afraid of taking that step. They are afraid of making that decision. But the first thing they do is they remind themselves that they're part of a perfect plan, and his plan is going to come about. And then they carry on, verse 28. They did, these people did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Let's just pause and just think about this just for a second. Here's what they're saying. These people, these leaders crucified Jesus, the anointed one, just like David said that they would. And yet you predicted it. So you were using their sinful acts to bring about your plan. Now you can skip across that really quick, but if you just think about that for a second, that means that in the darkest moments... For those in the room that have had things done to them or been involved in things that have hurt them, in those darkest moments, there's a plan. And sometimes we're so close to the plan that we don't actually see the broader plan. But God, in his perspective, sovereign God, is able to look at the plan of our life and say, right now I know that my heart reaches out. I'm sorrowful with you. I will cry with you, the scriptures say, that I am with you. That's what God is. And yet, hold on. Because you're part of a bigger plan. And this too will be turned to my good and to your good, to your joy. Now, we, I've spoken a lot in the last few years about the sovereignty of God and the plan of God. And I don't want to go into that today, although I would love to. But the scriptures are clear that God is in control. And this young group of Christians are recognizing that. They're so We get so distracted by what's happening, we forget that we're part of a bigger plan. In fact, this is what happens. We get so distracted by what's happening that that is what determines what goes on in our hearts. And that's where the fear comes from. Because we're not able to look past and see the possibilities. Whereas these people were able to look past and see the possibilities because they were able to read and go, that's us. Their eyes had been opened. They recognized there was a cause. There was an urgency They recognized that Jesus was part of their perfect plan and that God had given them this profound ability to see the world turned upside down, which is what this book Acts talks about. So when you become a Christian, for those of you who are exploring faith, here's what happens is you're brought into a family that is on a plan. And the plan is this, that is the plan is to go and do. The plan is to take the step. The plan is to go and do and share and be part of something bigger than us. But the reason is, is because we have a tremendous cause. We have an urgency. We only need to look at our community and what goes on around us and read and listen and watch and surf for a little while on the internet. You can see that there is an urgency. There is a cause. 
God has a plan. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of David. And one particular part of his life uh, really fascinates me. And uh, David was a young man, could have been around 13, between 13 and 16. So those of you who are in that age group, just, just listen up. This, this is your age group. And he was still looking after sheep on the side of his uh, father's um, uh, property. And his dad, you can read about this in 1 Samuel 17. It actually says this. You can read it. I love it. He says, take this cheese and these, this bread. So in other words, cheese sandwiches or cheese butties, as we call them in Britain. Take this cheese butties to your, to your brothers who are fighting on the front. They're fighting the Philistines. So David, being the good younger brother and the obedient son, takes the cheese and takes the bread, and he kind of wanders into the camp. So I, in my mind, I'm just visualizing this kind of, the Bible says he's a good-looking kid, this rugged David, you know, smells a bit of sheep, but, you know, he's got bread, he's got cheese, and he's looking for his brothers. He's wandering around. So he's wandering around the line, and he's obviously just an inquisitive teenager going, well, what's going on? And he notices this big dude, Goliath who stood in a valley, you can read it in First Samuel chapters 17, he stood in the valley, and you know the story, he's demanding that the Israelites, David's brothers are part of that army, to send a champion to come and fight, because their belief at that time is if Israel had a champion and the Philistines had a champion, they come together, they fight on behalf, When the deal was this, if Israel lose, their champion loses, then they would serve Philistines. Not just them, but their families and from generation to generation. This was a big deal. But Goliath was no ordinary fighter, as you know. He's, he's, he's a big guy. So where are Israel? Where are David's brothers? Where is the king, Saul, at that time? It says he stood or sat on the side of a hillside. And every day Goliath would come and he would yell obscenities, not just to the Israelites, but to God. David wanders in. Bread and cheese. Where's Eliab? Where's my bro? And he starts going, well, hang on, what's going on? And you can read it. It says he's kind of wandering around. He's asking questions. And eventually, his brother comes up to him. And you can imagine this interaction. Big brother, little brother. Big brother, soldier. Little brother, smelly sheep herder with cheese and bread. And his brother says this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He says, what are you doing here? I'm paraphrasing because I don't speak Hebrew. What are you doing here? You've just come down to see the fight. What fight would be the question I would ask? Because all you're doing is sitting around on the side of the hillside looking at Goliath. I don't see any fighting going on. I'm seeing a lot of sitting going on, but not a lot of fighting, not a lot of steps towards. And then David says, and so he starts causing this fuss. And then there's this really, really cool verse. And you can find it in the King James Version. This is just for Jameson. Oh. Hang on, let's go back. We've gone a bit too far ahead here. First Samuel 17. Can you find it for me, Jason? Oh, there. Thank you. King James Version. Is there not a cause? This is what David says. Is there not a reason? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason for us actually to cause a fuss, to speak out, to take the step, to go fight? And his cause was this, that this man, this Goliath, was coming up against his God. And he felt 
the cause rise within him. And you know the rest of the story, and I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but David ends up fighting Goliath. He ends up representing Israel, and something fascinating happens. Just as Goliath hits the ground dead, David then starts chasing after the Philistines. Just this kid, he's thrown away his cheese and butties by now, and he's chasing after Goliath. And then what do Israel do? They chase after him. They chase after David, who's chasing after the Philistines. It took one person to recognize they were part of a bigger plan, to recognize that there was a cause and there was an urgency, to recognize that he had an ability that was God-given because he'd been anointed by God, by Samuel, the prophet. From head to toe, he'd been anointed. And friends, there's a lot of likeness between that story and our story. And Paul says that we can look at the examples in the Old Testament and apply it to our own lives. And you know, even, though, even though we know that that is representative of the gospel, what, what I can learn is this, is that I've been anointed and as a Jesus follower, so have you. And I have the greatest cause, far bigger than Goliath. And I'm part of a much bigger plan. And I need to be starting to chase and run. Because here's what I'm aware of. It just takes one or two to do it. And everybody follows. So the question has to be, is that one or two, you and me? You see, Jesus didn't go, sorry, we don't go alone because, because Jesus went alone to the cross. He took on the ultimate Goliath called death. And in dying, our sin, our shame is applied to Jesus and it dies with him on the cross. And then the Bible talks about how we're then given life, we're given anointing to go chase, to go and do. To ask the question, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? See, we don't go alone. So on the basis, and I'm not sure whether my slides are in the right order now, Jason, so... Verse 29 says this. This is, this is what these disciples, these early disciples ask. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. See, they recognized they had a cause. They recognized there was an anointing. They recognized that God was in control. And they recognized that life was going to shake, that life was going to be difficult. And they didn't ask for all the circumstances to change. They didn't ask for things to get easier. What they asked for was great Boldness. Give us boldness, they said. Give us boldness to cross the road to help. Give us boldness to go and do. That was their ask. Great boldness. Nothing else, that's what we need. Just to use that which we've already got. So friends, what has this got to do with you and me? We don't go alone. We go in the plan of God with the ability of God. So when I, when I encourage you to invite your friends, share your story, to go into our community, to go and do, to walk across the road because people are desperately in need of this answer, we don't go alone. But what we lack is boldness. And so I could stand here and go, okay, guys, just go do it. Go be bold. That's not going to work. That's not going to work any more than I can instruct you to be more humble. Boldness emerges. It's an answer to prayer. It comes from our recognizing that we're part of a bigger plan. It comes from recognizing that we have a responsibility. And it does come from also us just taking the step, the deep breath and going. But it starts in prayer. Give us boldness. To do what? To do what? 
to enable your servants to speak your word. To enable your servants to speak your word. That was their question. That was their ask. Give us boldness. See, David's boldness was to run at a Goliath. Our boldness is needed because they're asking what we need to ask is to speak your word. Give us boldness to open our mouths. Give us boldness to have that conversation. Give us boldness. And so here's the question I want to pull all this together with. Have you prayed that? Have you ever prayed for boldness to speak? Have you actually opened your mouth in a circumstance that you go, I'm going to need an answer to prayer for this to work out? I don't know how they're going to respond. I don't know what they're going to say. It might actually cause all untold amount of problems. Give me boldness to speak. Because here's the reality. Christian friends, we are, in, we are instructed and we are told that at some point we actually have to open our mouths and share the story. And share the story. Even if you're like, Glenn, you, you just don't understand. This is so difficult. I talked to a few weeks ago about how you need, that we should have four people for the mission. Four people that we're, we're looking to, to pray for and invite to the south and invite to Big Sunday. You go, Glenn, I, you don't understand what these four people are like. And I would answer, no, I don't. But I do understand the plan that we're part of. I do understand the urgency. I do understand the ability. And I also understand the power of God unto salvation. That when you open your mouth, he will use your story in ways that will will just be amaze you because the reality is at some point someone in your life christian friend opened their mouth and shared with you did they not we're called to do the same we have to open our mouth you see what does boldness look like Boldness is quietly saying Merry Christmas when you're surrounded by people who will probably mock you for saying Christmas rather than Happy Holidays. Boldness is not drive-by guilting or judgment. Boldness is not yelling at people because they have different views or worldviews than you. That's not boldness. Boldness is having a conversation with somebody who you know is antagonistic towards Christianity, but you want to share your story. That's boldness. Boldness is sitting down with somebody you've known for years and years and years. And maybe they're coming to the end of their life and you are sharing your story in the gospel. That's boldness. Boldness is actually taking that step and quietly and lovingly and gently sometimes sharing your story, handing out an invite. That's boldness. Boldness is not sitting in your basement writing blog comments angrily with lots of emojis. That's not boldness. Boldness doesn't look like that. Boldness is actually placing yourself in the plan of God because you recognize that he is bigger than you and he is more capable than you. That's boldness. I was really impressed a few weeks ago. I was having coffee with uh, Chad and Hannah, who I'm big fans of. Are they here? They're right there. Front row. Brilliant, kind of, almost. And we were chatting about community group and uh, we were chatting about life and we are talking about Big Sunday and we are talking about all the things that are coming up. And they said this, I'm paraphrasing, but they essentially said this, um, that they had to leave the meeting because they were going to go and play beach volleyball. So I guess it was few, more than a few weeks ago. They were playing beach volleyball. And uh, so I asked, oh, well, tell me more about beach volleyball because for those of you who know me, I'm not, and I'm going to get so much criticism for this, but I'm just going to be bold. Not a huge volleyball fan. It's okay, you can get at me later, but, and there's reasons. 
Um, I know, I've lost a lot of you. But um, they said, oh, we're going to play beach volleyball. And I went, oh, why? so what's the plan with that? And they said this, and I'm just paraphrasing, but they roughly said this. Well, we were part of a touch rugby team. Now, rugby, now there's a game. I went, oh, because I used to coach Chad rugby. So I was like, immediately he says, yeah, but we left. Oh, why? Well, there was just lots of Christians there. We wanted to go somewhere where there wasn't any Christians. So we've joined beach volleyball. And I know this will embarrass them. That's boldness. That's boldness. Boldness is putting our life activity in alignment with who we say we are. It's positioning ourselves in our city, in our neighborhoods, to be able to share our story with people who urgently need to hear it. That's running at Goliath. Not joining a yet another Christian club. Nothing against Christian clubs. Don't send me emails. They're great. But we also need to be playing beach volleyball, but kind of. Right? We need to be surrounded by people who need to know Jesus. That's boldness. And that's as a church what we need to be about. We need to be for our city by joining in our city, seeking its welfare, and looking for ways that we can cross the street and go and do and tell and share. That's Christianity. That takes boldness. And boldness comes through prayer. God, help me. Enable me to speak. Enable me to speak your word with boldness. You see, boldness is lovingly speaking up in the way that God has designed you. That's boldness. doesn't mean you have to start yelling at people. In fact, I would say that's the opposite of boldness. Boldness is quietly... Gently, lovingly, in the place that God has placed you, speaking up when opportunity, and we know when the opportunity arises, enable me to speak your word with boldness, is what their prayer was. And so here's what I want to ask us all to do. Can we for a week, for those of you called South Home, I want to challenge you, direct from the scriptures, is every day I want you to pray this scripture. Father, today, enable me to speak your word with boldness. Every day. Learn it. Let's do it. Enable me to speak your word with boldness. And here's what's going to happen. You'll be a lot more heightened to the opportunities. Because you'll be like, is this it? Is this my chance? Oh no. Is this where I get to cross the road? You'll be, you'll be more aware. You pray this every day. You'll be more aware. And secondly, I will guarantee you, you will have opportunity to share the word with boldness. Because God doesn't let this one go. Okay. Okay. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? Because it causes me to start considering, well, am I around people who need to hear the word of God spoken with boldness? that need to hear my story. If not, I need to join beach volleyball with Chad and Hannah. Which I'm guessing is a bit chilly right now. but Because if we're not needing this prayer answered, then maybe we need to position ourselves differently, church family. But the beauty of knowing that God turns up, because look at verse 31. After they prayed... The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word boldly. See, God will fill you. He will enable you. He will anoint you. He will take you and purposely place you to share your story and that situation may well shake. 
It might get disrupted because we believe in the power of the word of God. And you will be part of a circumstance. You may be part of a story in somebody else's life that has sent them on a trajectory for eternity towards God. That's worth being part of. And for me, as I think about people like Tim from yesterday, that at the end of my life, I want to know that I've stepped across the road with boldness and I want to go and tell people, I want to share the word of God boldly with people because I think that is the ultimate legacy that I can have as a human being who declares that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes that I have the answer. Not me, but living in me. The message itself is the answer that people need to hear. That's a life lived well. And I'm excited because here's what I'm noticing is that over the last few weeks as I've talked to people at the South and I've shared uh, different things that are going on and we've tweaked the welcome team and the connect team. We had like, I don't know, about 20 people, volunteer people in the welcome lounge this morning as we were praying for this morning for you. I can see the church starting to pull together towards a cause. And the cause is called the mission, this area or wherever we live. I can see it happening. I can see God answering this prayer. And it's exciting. I just want to encourage you all to jump in on it as well. If you're still on the fringe, jump in. Take one of these cards. Share the story. Boldly walk across the room and go, would you go to church with me next week? Because some of the stuff that we've been talking about, I, my pastor's talking about it next week. You know, can we, the first topic is, can we really take the Bible seriously? We trust the Bible. Come with me. I'll meet you at Starbucks or Tim Hortons or wherever it is that you go. I'll meet you and we'll go to church together. See, that's boldness. We can do that. I know we can do that. Because God wants to speak that word into people's lives. So thank you. Genuinely, I'm so encouraged by the way people have been taking steps. Over the last couple of months, God is doing something wonderful in this place. And I'm very, very grateful. It's a good Thanksgiving Sunday to declare that. I know that there's so much more because we live and we serve a God of more. So I'm excited. Let's pray together. Let's pray this prayer together that you would enable us to speak with boldness. Praise your name. Let's just close our eyes. As the worship team get ready to lead us again. Let's just quiet ourselves before him. We're going to pray as we lead into communion. Father, the first thing I think about when I think about boldness Lord Jesus, you willingly went to the cross. Lord, we know that you were afraid. Your word says so. That you were under tremendous stress at the thought of what was to come. And yet, Lord, you crossed that road. You walked that road towards Golgotha. And that, Lord, you died that horrible, shameful, painful death 
But Lord, you took on the sin and the shame of all those that believe in you. And it died and was buried with you. And Lord, we know that we cannot comprehend the magnitude of that obedience. Your word says, for the joy that was set before you, you endured the shame of the cross. But Lord, you stepped towards it in boldness because Lord of the plan. And so Father, as we come and we share communion together, Lord, I pray you would fill us with that same boldness that you filled those young early disciples. That we'd be reminded of the plan that we're part of. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that this church, this church family, and I'm so proud of, and I love so deeply, that, Lord, that you would give us more and more opportunity to speak your word with boldness in the places that you've put us, that we would share our story, and that, Lord, that more and more people would come to know you and be transformed and changed. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So you've just got your eyes closed and we consider as we go into worship our time of communion together. This time is specifically designed for Jesus followers, for people who are Christians, because Jesus instructed us to do this in remembrance of him. That he took the bread that was their Passover and he broke it and he took the wine and he blessed it and he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, Paul later on teaching about it said, be very careful that you do this with the right heart. That it is most important that you only take the bread and the wine if you declare that Jesus is your Lord and you are a Christian. But also be encouraged that this time as Christians for Jesus' followers is an encouragement and a reminder of the plan that we're all part of. And the joy that Jesus faced that he was willing to endure the shame for. And that joy is having you in his family. Maybe that's not your story yet. Maybe your story doesn't include Jesus. Maybe your story doesn't include having asked him for forgiveness and declaring him as Lord in your life. Maybe it doesn't include that yet. Well, we're glad you are here. And we want to help you through that. We want to pray for you so that you too can take this communion. And on the back of the Connect card, you can indicate that you'd like to talk to somebody about becoming a Christian. And we have lots of different ways to help you. 
But Christian friends, this is our time. Our time to remember. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your body broken. Thank you, Lord, for your blood shed. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin. And thank you, Lord, for the newness of life and life to the full. So here's how we, uh, we do communion at the south. Is that uh, Luke and the team will lead us in some worship.